Hey, it's Lauren. Thank you so much for listening to The Afterlight. Enjoy the episode. This episode has been brought to you by Ra Ra Consulting and the Ra Ra Spirit Team Mentorship. Hey, it's Lauren here. I'm an expert in time management, content creation, and mindset work. My day job is working with overwhelmed or unmotivated business owners or service providers who want to get organized and motivated and review their current business practices so that they can kick start their journey to further success. You know, the average person with an average life lives 27,350 days. And even though we know that we just shape shift into something different after our time is done here, I believe that making use of your time and living the life of your dreams, which is a life of flow and bliss, is so incredibly important. And I want to help you do that. I can help you through business and life challenges. I can help you to, you know, change your mindset, to create time for self-care, to look at your dreams and to create a roadmap to help you get there. Also through the Raw Raw Spirit team, I offer group mentoring as well. So if one-on-one is not your thing, you're interested in more of a group scenario, then that would definitely be an option for you. All the details can be found in the show notes. You can also head to my website at rawrawconsulting.com or you can send me a DM on Instagram or on Facebook at any time to see whether or not working together is uh, maybe a good fit for both of us. All right, time for the episode. Okay, Lauren here and welcome to the show. I am joined today by psychic and medical intuitive, Julie Ryan. She can sense what medical conditions and illnesses a person has and facilitate energetic healings. She can communicate with spirits, both alive and dead. She can scan animals, access people's past lives and remove ghosts from homes and other buildings. And she can tell how close to death someone is. Her book, Angelic Attendance, What Really Happens As We Transition From This Life Into The Next, is a wow book, by the way, and describes a series of events that involves angels, multitudes of deceased family and friends, the spirits of deceased pets, in countless serendipitous and miraculous moments. Julie's children's books, Angel Messages for Kids and Angel Messages for Dogs, are picture books with some of the most beautiful imagery ever. I took screenshots on my iPad when I was uh, reading those books just so I could have copies of them. Probably shouldn't tell you that, Julie, but anyway. And uh, they have angels answering kids' tough questions. Every week, Julie scans callers on her Ask Julie Ryan podcast, which is heard by millions in over a hundred countries throughout the world. She's a businesswoman, an inventor, an author, a podcaster, and a serial entrepreneur. And she's also one of my friends and her surgical device inventions are sold globally. And she has founded nine companies in five different industries. Julie's psychic and medical intuitive skills are learned. Now, Julie is joining me because I know our listener at home is going, whoa, whoa, their, their jaws just hit the ground. What are we talking about today? Well, Julie is joining me on the show today to talk about what happens when we die, transitioning from life to death to life again, the role that angels play in our passing and in our lives, and the power of prayer. So just some light subjects for today's show. Hi, Julie. Welcome. <laughs> Hi, girl. I'm so delighted to be with you. 
Well, the pleasure is mine. Um, I, I did mean everything I said. Your books are a wow. I actually, when I was reading them, I went, wow. And, uh, you know, that doesn't always happen when you read books, you know, when you get that connection and that feeling, it's just, it's really, it's so powerful. So thank you so much for writing those and, and sharing them with me. Now, just a heads up for our listener at home, this is actually part two of a previous conversation that I had with Julie. So if you want to know about her inventions and how her spiritual journey started, you have to go back and listen to that episode because we have other things to discuss in today's show. (laughs) Am I right, Julie? Am I right? That's right. That's right. Yes. Okay. So first of all, this is such a big subject at hand that I actually would just like to launch right into it, if that's okay with you. So um, when I was reading Angelic Attendance, number one, I was like, I had that whoa feeling, that wow feeling, I guess you could say, whoa or wow. And you explained death and the transition from life to death in ways that I had actually never heard of before. So Before we kind of get to the incredible story of your mother's passing and the power of prayer, I would like to talk to you a little bit about why people fear death, because I'm under the impression from reading your book and also from knowing you, that this is maybe common with people. And this is also something that you help people with. So can you talk to me a little bit about that, my friend? Sure, absolutely. Well, Thanks for all your kind words about my book. The thing that I hear the most from people, Lauren, is I never expected it to be a page turner. I couldn't put it down or it it reads like a, like a, not really a suspense novel, but it reads like, I want to see what happens next because it's so fantastical and real. And that's what makes it, I think so different from other things that are out there because there's lots of information about near-death experiences and grieving and even the afterlife, but not hardly any, any information about what happens when we're actually dying. And that's what everybody's afraid of. Yeah. And we're afraid of it because of religions and cultures and civilizations that have used fear to control the masses. We're living in a world right now where fear has been abundant for the past year and a half with the the COVID situation where people are being controlled with fear. Wear your mask, don't wear your mask, get together, don't get together, whatever. And it seems like it changes all the time and it's different from country to country and city to city and even family to family sometimes. Yeah. And the whole thing about are you when you die, are you gonna fly? to heaven? Are you going to fry in hell? Are you going to fly (laughs) or fry? Right. Is something that everybody has heard and some people more than others. So I think it's a matter that it's just ingrained in us. What's going to happen to us? Is there going to be a judgment? Is St. Peter going to be sitting at the pearly gates with a clipboard saying, okay, you're allowed in, you're not. You know, you're doomed to burn in hell for the rest of your life. And people are just afraid because we don't know. And we're afraid of what we don't know. And we've been conditioned with all of these beliefs over the year, over the, since the beginning of time. Yeah. That, that relate to death. And it's how I got involved in it was 
I had a, a dead Pope show up. May I tell this story? Yes, of course. I love all the how, stories. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So my mother died in 2002 and I watched all these angels and deceased loved ones and others around her. And I thought, wow, this is something. And then I saw it several times afterwards with other families with whom I was working. And so one day this dead Pope showed up in spirit form with his whole Pope outfit on. And he's, I said, well, who are you? And he said, I'm Clement. And I said, there was a Pope Clement. <laughs> now, mind you, I went through 12 years of Catholic schools and I'd never heard of a Pope Clement. So right. I said, there was a Pope Clement. And he said, yeah, I was number six. I said, okay, may I help you? <laughs> kind of like, why are you here? <laughs> He said, well, I'm, I, you're supposed to teach the world what happens when somebody dies. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm not doing that. I'm a businesswoman. People <laughs> all think I'm nuts. And he laughed and he said, yeah, yeah. Everything you've done in business is to prepare you for this. So just mm -hmm. get on with it. And I said, yeah, yeah, whatever. Nice seeing you. Bye. And when I left to go home, I was in the car before I started driving and I thought just for kicks, I'm going to Google Pope Clement the sixth come to find out Lauren, this guy was in office during the black plague when two thirds of Europe died. And he's best known for his prayers for the dying and his prayers for the dead. And I thought, Ryan, you just can't make that stuff up. <laughs> I know how I mean, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so he prodded me for a lot of years before I got the courage, you know, girls have golden ovary courage and boys have brass ball courage. So I got the golden <laughs> ovary courage to be able to put this information out there and not worry about people just thinking I was crazy and, and, uh, you know, condemning me. So I, it, that yeah. took a time, took a time. The final catalyst actually for me putting this information out there was I was sitting in church with my husband and my son in between the two of them. And the priest from the altar during his sermon said, wouldn't it be nice if somebody really could tell us if angel, the angels and our deceased loved ones greet us and lead us into paradise. And so I'm getting elbowed from either side, from my <laughs> husband and from my son. And I'm thinking, okay, God, really? in church from the pulpit. You're giving me grief about this. Okay. So I, okay. I'll do it. I'll do it. And that's how the book came about. That's so awesome. So, you know, when you were sort of having that, I guess, um, those fear-based thoughts about stepping into that role, you know, which is a pretty big deal. Were you primarily concerned that people weren't going to believe you or were you primarily concerned about not being able to deliver the message in the way that you would have intended? Neither. I was primarily concerned about my business colleagues and clients thinking, oh, she's a nut. She's a fruitcake. She's a nutball. Yeah. <laughs> Why are we doing business with her? Because I'm an entrepreneur. So I had a bunch yeah. of different companies all going and my fear was realized. May I tell that story real quickly? Oh, of course. About yes. All right. So I'm in Austin, Texas, and I'm lecturing at a big conference of C-suite level executives with one of my companies, totally unrelated with this, a total business talk. And afterwards, and my biggest fear was, okay, somebody's going to come up to me and give me grief about my 
woo-woo stuff, as I call it. And at this point, I had asked julieryan.com up and I, I had, I don't know that I'd released the book yet, but I think I had my podcast going. So I give my talk. Afterwards, this guy comes up to me and he had his iPad in his hand and it was, it was tuned to askjulieryan.com. And he said, is this you? And there's my picture. And I wanted to say, duh, yeah, it's my picture. Yeah. And but I was nice. And he said, is this you? And I said, yes. And I'm thinking, oh, here we go. And he said, I'm really interested in learning more. Can we sit together at lunch? Oh. And again, I thought, oh, this guy's just going to hammer me at lunch. End of the story is I sat at a table of eight, seven male CEOs, primarily C-suite executives, and me, and we talked about woo-woo the whole time. They were fascinated. They were firing questions at me one at a time, you know, like in rapid fire succession. Yeah. And that laid all my fears. I thought, okay. So if somebody does have a problem with it, okay, maybe they'll read the book and maybe they'll get something out of it. I don't yeah. know, but I can't control it. And it and it totally got rid of all the fear. But I really had conjured up in my mind, I'm going to lose business off of this. I'm going to have people that yeah. work for me that are I'm not going to be able to pay them. But I'm you know, I mean, just nonsense that I yeah. had made up in my mind about this. And I and I walked through it. And when I got to the other side, as with most things, we are fearful of things that are irrational. Yeah. And we torture ourselves over them. And if we just recognize, okay, this is a fear that's irrational and it's, it's not real, yeah, then we can move forward. So that was a big lesson yeah. for me. Yeah. I love that a lot. I remember one time I was listening to Gabby Bernstein, she was doing a talk or something and, uh, she was basically, a, she's just basically saying, trust God. And that she had had something that, um, like a photo shoot from her past that she didn't want to come out. And, um, it was like a Maxim spread or something and, uh, it never did. And, you know, it's because she, she was divinely ordered to do this other work and she trusted that God took care of that. And it kind of sounds like that for you as well. In that scenario where you were stepping into your power and then, uh, God was like, here you go. Here's a little, you know, kind of opportunity for you to just really finally remove that fear. So I love that. Exactly. Um, speaking of fear, one of the reasons why I actually got into spirituality uh, or got into it, one of the reasons why I kind of realized my spiritual side, I suppose, was because I had a fear of death when I was younger. And I remember reading mm -hmm. James Van Prague's book, uh, Talking to Heaven, and it really changed my whole life. And, um, I remember the sense of comfort that I felt after that, knowing that we don't die, that we just transition. And, and I was kind of almost able to put that fear to the side and focus on other things. One of the things that I thought was so wonderful that I read about in your book is that you actually guide people along the journey to death. I was wondering if you could talk on that for a few minutes. And also if you could maybe share the story of the nun, because I thought that was so great. <laughs> yes. When people are very afraid to die, as somebody's dying, they go through what I call the 12 phases of transition. And these are different configurations where the dying person is surrounded by angels and deceased loved ones and the spirits of deceased pets. And everybody goes through 12 phases, Lauren, whether they do it very instantly, like in the case of a homicide or suicide where they die right away, or whether it's prolonged over days, weeks, months. And 
what I find is sometimes people are super afraid to die because they've really drunk the Kool-Aid is the saying, but they've, they've been so inundated with these beliefs about heaven and hell and that kind of thing. And, and I walk through kind of a dress rehearsal with them about here's what's going to happen when at the end, when you transition, you're going to be carried off to heaven with eight by angels. And they're going to be deceased loved ones spirits they are going to be waiting on the other side of the pearly gates for you. And as soon as you walk through, they're going to be there to greet you and to welcome you to heaven. So I call them the welcome to heaven committee. <laughs> yes. And okay. so what I'll do and what I did with this nun, there was an elderly nun, you know, talk about drinking the Kool-Aid. She lived her whole life I know. Yeah. As, a, as a nun. And that was somebody that I would have thought would have been, had no fear and would have just been ready to go. But yeah, she, she would have been like, I'm a shoe in, I'm a shoe in. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but she'd heard so much about, she was a sinner and she needed to repent. And, oh, you know, geez. I am not worthy, that kind of stuff. Oh. So we, we walked through the desert, we walk into the setting sun, we get into a wormhole. And then once we get into a wormhole, this wormhole, it's totally void of any sight or smell or sound or temperature or light, completely black. And we were vertical as we're walking through the sand towards into the setting sun. And then we go horizontal and we're pulled like we're being sucked through this wormhole tunnel and it happens in a nanosecond right because remember time doesn't exist in the spirit world yeah so a time, and this is through meditation world, right julie no this, this is, is visualization okay this yeah. is yeah. i'm connected to the person who's dying and i'm watching this walk to heaven okay telepathically we're yeah. experiencing it telepathically and okay. once we get on the other side of the tunnel it's like a wormhole that they have in outer space in between times and galaxies, astronomers have identified these wormholes there. If you look them up, I mean, there's lots of information on them. And when we get on the other side, then what happens is we walk through this plasma wall that's brilliant white light, as I perceive it. Again, I've never seen St. Peter out in front of a brick or a stone gate, stone wall, you know, checking people off. Okay, you're allowed in, you're not kind of a thing. <laughs> and once we go through this plasma wall, Lauren, it completely closes back up. And then all their deceased loved ones are there waiting for them to greet them. Wow. And, and it's always so fun to watch the dying person's expression when they see that their loved ones are going to be there waiting for them when they get to heaven, because there's just this look of absolute relief that's on their face and joy. And, oh my gosh, you know, why was I torturing myself with all of this? Because yeah. this is amazing. So most of them want to stay at that point. <laughs> I say, no, yeah. no, we got to go back. And so we'll, we'll reverse, we'll walk through the plasma wall, we'll get back into the wormhole, we'll walk back through the setting sun in the desert, and then I'll reattach their spirit to their body and put my spirit back in my body. And it's very comforting. There, there are many stories that I can share with people who've done that. And, and the 
this nun in particular that to whom you were referring, she was 90 something and she was walking with a walker through the desert and, and very, very hunched over and all of that. When we were walking back, she had her walker like slung over her shoulder and she just came on and was walking like somebody who was much younger. So it's really remarkable to be able to give somebody that kind of peace when they're so afraid to yeah. die. Oh, it's and that's so what Pope good. Clement was all about, was, was for me to teach the world what happens when somebody dies because people are so afraid. And in, and in his words, he said, it's been so bastardized over yeah. the millennia from control. Interestingly enough as well, there was a book released late last year called Death is But a Dream by a doctor named Chris Kerr, K-E-R-R. And he is a hospice director in Buffalo, New York, here in the, in the States. And he did a university-based study on 1,400 patients who were hospice patients who reported at the end of their lives, almost 90% of whom reported that they were seeing visions and dreams of their deceased loved ones and deceased pets as they were approaching death. And so it corroborates and validates everything that I talk about in angelic attendance from the spiritual side yeah. of the equation. And certainly yeah. I have stories about families with whom I'd worked and the, the validations that we got from the information I was receiving from spirit. But mm. now Dr. Kerr's book validates it in a different way, in a medical and in a, and in a scientific way, which I find fascinating. So Timing is what it is. You know, it always unfolds perfectly. My book was out first and now here's his. <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, his book might be accessible in a different way to people who aren't ready to hear about, you know, maybe some of the content in your book. Maybe it's like leading them into it, you know, a little bit. Well, as we've become more well-educated over the last 100, 150 years, certainly we've become more proof-based. Yeah, and we want exactly. to see statistics and we want exactly. to see proof. And so yeah. his book does that. And as he says, he, I interviewed him on my Ask Julie Ryan show, and I believe it's episode 239 and the interviews on YouTube and it's anywhere you can down, anywhere you download podcasts, if you just want the audio version. And he said in that interview, unfortunately, this information, this proof needed to come from a medical doctor in order for it to be believable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I agree with them. Yeah. 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 So listen, uh, in this conversation, I do want to go into a little bit more about the 12 phases of transition. I am dying to hear your mother's, um, transition, you know, th that story. It's so amazing. I know our listener at home is not even going to believe it. I do want to go back just quickly. If we can though, Julie, just about the um, experience we were talking about guiding people on the journey to death. So I guess I was trying to think about Okay. So basically the, let's just use the example of the nun, just cause it's, it's um, easy. So she comes to you or um, you meet with her online and you um, basically say, okay, so this is what we're going to do. Um, we're going to visualize this experience. So I guess I'm kind of wondering whether or not she had the same conscious experience as you or whether or not you were connecting with her spirit. And so consciously she might not have been aware of it uh, because you know what I mean? I guess I was trying to think about what if she doesn't have a lot of experience with visualization 
would it have been the same for her? Or did she go through this experience and then have that comfort feeling after without necessarily knowing what had happened? Hopefully I've explained that properly. Yes. And it happened a little differently than what you're surmising. Perfect. Her niece asked me to get involved. She was in a coma. So she was not able to communicate. The, the sister was, the nun was. And so spiritually I connected with her. I could communicate with her telepathically. And that's how I led her on the walk to heaven. What I call the walk to heaven was from a spiritual, from a telepathic standpoint. So it was her spirit experiencing that instead of her, it from a cognitive standpoint, normally it's somebody's spirit with whom we're working on the walk to heaven because they're so afraid to die, even if their consciousness, if they're still able to communicate that their consciousness isn't able to voice that. Oh, and so okay. I'll walk through with them from a spiritual perspective, give them a dress rehearsal from a spiritual perspective, from a mm. telepathic perspective. So I'm working with their spirit. So their spirit then has that information that it already knows, but then when it integrates back joins with the body, the body then gets it. So it's a dress right. rehearsal with them in spirit form. Do you think that's why sometimes people stay in comas for long periods of time because they're, they're afraid of making that final shift? That yes, I, I believe that they're, they take a long time to die. Some people take a long time to die because they believe that it's helpful to their loved ones to get mm -hmm. used to the idea that they're not going to be around. My sister-in-law's dad had Alzheimer's and was really deteriorating for about eight years. And the last couple of years, he really was getting to the point where we thought we, they were going to lose him. A couple of times. And so I was talking with him telepathically and I knew him because I'd known him for 30 years or mm -hmm. even more close to going on 40 years since his, his daughter and my brother had been married and his name was Jim. And I said, Jim, why, why are you waiting? And he said, I'm, I want to give Phyllis, his wife, I want to give Phyllis the opportunity to experience what it's like to live alone. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, when we got married, she lived at home. She's never lived alone. She was 88 years old when he died. She's still living. And he said, she's never lived alone. So what was going on for several years, a couple of years at least was he was in a, in a care facility and she would sleep at home alone at night. And then she'd go spend the day with him in the care facility every day. So it was yeah. getting her used to being alone. That was his reason. And you know, what a loving thing for him yeah. to do for her. What an and, amazing. And I, I didn't, I didn't know if that was true. So I asked my sister-in-law, I told her, I said, your dad told me that he's taking a long time because he wants your mom to get used to living alone. Cause she's never lived. She never lived alone. She lived at home before she got married. And she said, that's right. That's true. Wow. That's amazing. That. It's actually amazing, Julie, isn't it? That you can connect with, with a spirit and get that information when they're not able to articulate that in their conscious state, in their human state, I suppose. My favorite story, however, is 
a friend of mine's dad was dying and he was a retired dentist, very elderly. And he was on a ventilator and they took him off and he was just hanging on, hanging on, hanging on. And for two weeks, and his daughter said to me, I, I don't know why he's hanging on. Well, he had told me several times, times to tell her he needed his quarterly estimated taxes filed. He wanted her to mail them. And she said, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I'm not, you know, that's crazy. So she calls me after two weeks. She said, what, what, what does he need? What he's saying? He wants his quarterly estimated taxes mailed. She said, I don't even know where they are. So I'm, I'm having this long distance call with her on my cell phone and I'm talking to him telepathically. So it's like a woo woo conference call. <laughs> and I said, where are the taxes? And I've known this guy since I was 10. And I said, where are your taxes? He said, they're in the desk in my bedroom, left middle drawer, and she'll find them. And I said to my friend, Angela, I said, Ange, just go to his house and just go see if they're there. I mean, you don't have anything to lose. She was huffing and puffing. And so she did. And when she got there, sure enough, there were the taxes. Oh the check God. was made out. The stamps were on the envelope. It was ready to go. She dropped it in the mailbox and he died within a couple of hours oh, afterwards. Wow. Well, come to find out she was the executor of his estate. That was fairly complicated, by the taxes being filed the day that he died, it saved her all kinds of headaches in settling his estate. That's so good. That's so, Julie, do you just wake up every day? You go, holy. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Well, it's just so much fun because everybody's oh, different and everybody's experiences are different. And I think it's so important for us to remember that everybody is so valuable in this mm -hmm. world because when we have an experience like you and I talking right now, will this has never happened before. It will never happen again Yeah. with your spirit and my spirit at this time going, whatever's going on in the world and in our individual lives. We talked before the show, we both have contractors at our house yeah. doing different things. <laughs> and so it will never be the same ever. And yeah. so everybody's contribution then expands their individual spirits, you know, everybody's exploration and everybody's experience, but it also, it, it enhances the collective consciousness. I'm getting real woo woo here on you, Love but it. of everybody's experience and each generation that comes in is benefiting from the generations before them and their experiences because our spirits expand as we experience and explore things. Mm -hmm. And the example I like to use is think of a toddler who can't talk yet and can't walk, but they sure know how to use an iPhone and an iPad. How's that work? Yeah. They know how to use it better than I do. Yeah. And it's because they come in, each generation is more advanced. They come in having benefited from past generations. And, and I just find that so fascinating and I see it over and over again. So everybody has value. Everybody's purpose here, whether they think they have a purpose or not is so important mm -hmm. to human life and humanity and, and the history of humanity and going forward with humanity. Yeah, I love that so much. And I think one of the things that, you know, 
that was so clear in your book is how connected we all are and how the impacts that we make on people throughout our life you know, even the small ones, I love this story where you were talking about, and I'm going to get you to go into that in just a moment, but with your mom's transition and, you know, people from 20 years ago were showing up in the room and, you know, maybe even people who had shown up just for brief periods of time in their current life were there because it was a bigger, you know, there was like a bigger impact that was made and, and all these things. It just goes to show that, like you said, we are all connected. And when we all raise and do the best we can, we raise everyone else up. And I think that's the whole point, isn't it? About, you know, how, as we consciously and collectively raise our vibration and our frequency that we're all lifting to the, to the heavens together for lack of a better word, I guess. Exactly. So let's go into that conversation now about uh, the story of your mother's passing. Were you ever afraid of death before that experience or had you kind of already been comfortable with it? And then that incredible experience happened because that for me, that story was a total, it's like spiritual suspense. It was a page turner. It was just unbelievable. I don't know that I'd really ever thought much about death before that because she was the first person, not that I had been close to that had died certainly, but where I was there. Yeah. And, and my woo woo training for six years, certainly I had seen spirits and energy and things like that. And I had, and I talk about that in the book, my yeah. path, how I got to this place over 30 years, really. And so I wasn't as afraid of it as I think perhaps others are, mm. because when we're afraid of death and we're afraid to lose somebody, Lauren, I believe that not only are we worried about how we're going to survive and what's it going to be like without our loved one, but it makes us face our own mortality. And we're thinking, oh God, I'm going to be there one day yes. and what's going to happen. And and especially if somebody's suffering and we're thinking, oh gosh, just, you know, hit me with a bolt of lightning or yeah, take me exactly. in my sleep or yeah, exactly. something like that. But I think it's, it's important to remember too, that we all decide when we go, where we go, how we go and who's with us when we go, because I see so many people agonize over a situation where they're not with their loved one when they finally take their last breath. Well, I'm here to tell you that that loved one didn't want you there for whatever reason. Maybe they thought it would be too hard on you. Maybe they thought it was better for you to be with your own family or to get your sleep or whatever. Wow. It can be a multitude of reasons. With my mother, we got a phone call. I live about a nine hour drive from my parents when they were living. And I got a phone call that she had been moved into hospice and for my brother. And so I looked at flights. I couldn't get, I could get there faster by driving than I could by flying just because of it was late in the afternoon and with the connections with the flights and everything. And my husband said, let's just drive. And I said, drive. I said, we're going to be driving all night. And he said, yeah, we can take turns. And I said, all right. <laughs> so we put my son who was 10 at the time in the back seat, made a bed for him in the back seat. And my husband, Tim and I took turns driving and he'd drive for two or three hours and then we'd switch and I'd sleep and then I'd drive and he'd sleep. So we arrived at the 
uh, hospice facility early in the morning on a Saturday morning and some family members were there and they were, the nurses were saying, your mother may last a really long time because she's coming from the hospital and she's well hydrated. I said, okay, fine. So as the day goes on, I'm starting to see these angels show up. But the first person I saw show up was my grandmother who had died six months before that. And I was like, my Bima is here. Okay, well, what's she doing? Well, she's there first. And then my deceased grandfather showed up. Well, he died when my mom was 12. So I never knew him, but I certainly had seen many pictures of him over my life. His spirit showed up. And then these angels showed up and my grandparents anchored this circle of angels that were around my mother's bed. And these were big old angels, Lauren. They, they were between six and seven feet tall. They had white robes on, big old wings, barefoot. Their robes were belted at the waist with a rope, a vanilla colored rope, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I think it's important to mention that that's how angels appear to me a Catholic yeah. schoolgirl who's using a frame of reference of the paintings and the statuary and those kinds of things. That's what I was taught angels, how angels appear. Right. Somebody who's raised in a different culture certainly may see angel energy as a blob of lime green energy or something. I mean, it may be totally different. Yeah. I like to use, I like to use analogies a lot because it gives our human minds a frame of reference and, yes. and gargoyles, for instance, gargoyles look scary to most of us that were raised in the Western cultures. Well, somebody from an indigenous tribe in the middle of the Amazon may look at a gargoyle and say, Oh, cool. What kind of animal is that? What does it do? Does it mm. run? Is it, and, and have no fear at all. So we, we interpret things through our own frame of reference that we've yeah. had in our lifetimes because it gives our our human minds a way to understand what we're seeing from the spirit world so nevertheless we're there and these angels show up and then my mom's spirits out of her body and it's hanging onto the top of her head it looks like a cartoon caption bubble where the characters words or thoughts are written amazing in the bubble and as the day progressed, this circle of angels started opening up into a horseshoe. And then midway through, there were two other angels that started, that appeared and they were on either side of her spirit bubble is what I like to call it. And at that point, that's midway through, that's about phase five. At phase six, there are other deceased loved ones spirits that show up and they're in period dress, a lot of them many of whom I recognized from photographs or I knew them in childhood. And there were people that were showing up who'd been dead for 25 and 30 years that I hadn't thought of since I'd heard they died, yeah. but I knew who they were. And I'm thinking, whoa, this is interesting. And then about phase seven, animal spirits arrive. And the dogs that we had when I was a kid growing up, our white German shepherd and our chow and a dachshund and these other dogs that I had seen in pictures when my mother was a child and their Amazing. spirits were there. And I'm thinking, really? The dogs are here? What's <laughs> going on with that? <laughs> the dogs are here. Yeah. And so I, so it just kept getting more interesting and more interesting. And then more and more spirits of deceased loved ones were showing up some in 1960s attire with mini skirts and go-go boots, some with 
Renaissance era attire. And, and it got to the point where there were so many of them coming in that eventually when my mother did pass, they looked like specks on the horizon, look like dots on the horizon. There were so many, literally thousands of them. Oh and my. again, I call that the welcome to heaven committee. They're there. So as this is progressing, Lauren, this circle of angels is opened into a horseshoe. Eventually it's in a, in a straight line. The angels then are in a straight line and it's for crowd control. They're, they're the line of demarcation between the human world and the spirit world. They're keeping the crowd of spirits that have come to welcome the person to heaven. The bouncers. They're there to keep them They're the, Yeah. They're, they're crowd control. Exactly. So they're there. And then about phase nine, the angels that are on either side of the spirit bubble, Lauren, their wings start to move. And it reminds me of a giant owl. The wing movement is very slow and rhythmic. And if you've ever watched a documentary on a giant owl, you can almost feel the drag that the wings create wow. when they're moving. And I started to see a vortex form above my mother's head, like a tornado cloud, like a, a funnel cloud, like a tornado. And I thought, okay. This is wild. I, I, maybe I'm hallucinating. <laughs> maybe I'm going through a midlife crisis. Obviously I'm grieving because my mother's dying, but I really, but what happened was it created an opening at the top of her head. And I knew in, intuitively that it was going to help the spirit separate from the body eventually. And that's exactly what it does. Interestingly enough, when I was researching the book, researching some things, when I was writing the book, I was led just to Google giant owl wings vortex. And what <laughs> I found out was there is this phenomenon called a wingtip vortex that causes lift for every bug, every bird, every mm -hmm. kite, every plane, jet, whatever that flies, there is a vortex that forms underneath the wings and it causes lift. And I'm thinking, really? This is an aeronautical engineering thing. If you Google wingtip vortex, you will find that tens of thousands, oh, if not hundreds my. of thousands of drawings and articles and everybody that has anything to do with aeronautical engineering knows about the wingtip vortex. <laughs> so I thought it was really remarkable, Lauren, that the, here's these angels wings moving, creating this phenomenon from the spirit world that's affecting us in the physical world. And there's a engineering explanation for it. Yeah. I laugh. I say, I love it when, when science catches up with woo woo. And that's, oh. that was another example of it. Wow. And then phase 11 is the vortex is very strong in this spirit. Then in phase 12 exits through the vortex and is, is escorted to heaven by the angels on either side of the spirit bubble. And everybody goes through these phases, as I mentioned, whether it's quickly instantly, like in the case of a homicide or suicide, or whether it's prolonged over days, weeks, months, even years. I had a gal call into my show for two years and her father had Alzheimer's and was not able to communicate and was just curled up in a little ball. And it took him two years to die. But again, there's no time in the spirit world. So what's two years in our time perhaps isn't even a fraction of a blip on the radar screen. Yeah. When you were watching all this unfurl, were you 
sitting in the room with your eyes closed, seeing it through your third eye, or were you seeing this through your naked eye? Both. Oh, both. I would close my eyes. If I close my eyes, I, I can get a better picture in my mind's eye because I don't have all the distractions. Yeah. Yeah. And she died in Oak too. So that was almost 20 years ago. Wow. So I've been doing this for a lot longer. So now if I'm scanning somebody for a medical or I'm looking to see what phase of transition somebody's in, like let's, let's say somebody calls me in the car while I'm driving. Well, it's probably beneficial for me to keep my eyes open when I'm driving. <laughs> I can I can see in my mind's eye while my eyes are still open and paying attention what's happening. The, the interesting thing, when my mother was dying, my father was praying and out of this old Catholic prayer book, prayers for the dying. And we said the rosary, you know, like a good Catholic family. And when we were praying, Lauren, there was this iridescent mist that filled the room. It was sparkly and it just swirled around. Mm -hmm. And then when we stopped, it went away. And then when we prayed again, it came in. And it was interesting because I only saw it when we were praying collectively. Yeah. I didn't see it like if somebody was off to the side praying on their own. I didn't know they were praying, but I didn't see it. The only time I saw it was when we were praying collectively. And, and I see the power of prayer in many instances. Primarily, I see it when somebody's having surgery Yeah, because I can always tell how many spirits are in the operating room is indicative of how much prayer is being said for that person. The more prayer, the more spirits in the operating room to lend support. It's really fascinating <sighs> that is to fascinating. see all that. And you talked about that in the story of um, Cherie as well in your book. Right. Yes. So she was basically hadn't told a lot of people she was getting surgery and then you saw many spirits in the room and it turned out that her son had told his, his classmates or his prayer camp mates or something like that. And they had all prayed for her. It, it's just, when I read that, I just thought that was so amazingly profound. It makes sense why now when they do huge sessions of um, meditation with hundreds of thousands of people together that they enact these changes. And it's just, I guess, yeah. Yeah. So that made a lot of sense to me. Well, in prayer is a form of meditation. Yeah. It's all just energy. Yeah. And when we're all focused on a, a, an outcome that's going to benefit either human humanity or a, a certain situation or a certain person, mm -hmm. and we let go of outcome. Yeah. That's the key. <laughs> my mother, speaking of my mother, we laugh about this. My mother when somebody was, was taking a long time to die, she said, I'm going to go light a candle. Did she go light a candle? And so we, we kind of used to tease her and call them killer candles. Cause she go light a candle and then the person would die, you know, like somebody had been hanging on for a couple of weeks or something. And we'd say, Oh God, you know, Mary Jo is going to go light a killer candle. And she did. And inevitably the person would, would transition quickly thereafter. So I think, we, we would joke about that because nobody has that kind of power since we all decide when we go, where we go and all of that. The other thing that I find remarkable in doing really thousands of families, working with thousands of families over the years who have a loved one who's dying, the thing that really strikes me about this is I always thought that 
God decided or angels, your guardian angel decided when you died or whatever, and that the guardian angel would show up. And I thought it was interesting that my grandmother was the one running the show. She was the one that called in the angels. She was the one that called in the other spirits and the spirits of deceased loved ones and pets. And I've seen that countless times since. And, and God, I don't think God or spirit, whatever you want to call it, cares when we come. It's all our decision. Mm. It's all our experience, our exploration. And I just find it fascinating that it's the mother figure who really controls it when the person is dying. And if the mother's still alive, it's the maternal figure on the who's next in line. If the maternal grandmother is deceased, it'll be, she'll be the one that'll be doing it. If she's still alive, it will be her mother. It's always on the maternal line, Interesting. which is, is interesting too, because in ancient philosophies like, uh, Kabbalah, the Kabbalah, mm-hmm. you know, uh, part of Judaism, the The feminine side is the left side. The masculine side is the right side. And I always see the mother energy positioned on the left side. Wow. Of the patient who's dying, of the person who's dying. It's also, I think, fascinating that if somebody is adopted, it's the woman who raised the person as the person's mother, not necessarily the, it's not the birth mother. It's the mother that, that raised that person. The biological mother is there in the crowd, but behind that anchor of the, the maternal and paternal spirit closest to the person who's dying and them anchoring that line of angels, the circle eventually in the line of angels. Mm-hmm. So the birth mother's there, but she's not really running that. She's not really involved, except she's there to lend her support if she's deceased. Right. When you were talking about that, you know, that we decide how we go and when, and and then, you know, talking about, of course, at the time of transition that the maternal figure comes in and and orchestrates the the process or the transition, I guess I was kind of wondering whether or not you think that we can change in our current state, the outcome or whether or not we've already predetermined that. So what I mean by that is, you know, I choose to come to earth. I choose the parents. I you know, been born into the family and the situation I've been born into. So uh, I was always kind of under the impression myself that I already have decided what I'm going to leave and and how I'm going to leave. But I guess the more that I think about it is I remember I'm putting the intention out a while, uh, ages and ages, years, many years ago that I want to die in my sleep when I'm old. And I envision it being about when I'm 106 or 104, something like that. And I guess I'm kind of wondering whether or not you think that we have free will to change the outcome in our current state, or whether or not those are things that have been set in stone from our spirit before they come to earth. And it just is what it is. It's been my experience again, with thousands of families working with thousands of families who've lost a loved one that we decide when we go, it's not set in stone at all. So we can decide two cases in point. Absolutely. Two cases in point one, a couple of weeks ago, my daughter-in-law's grandmother passed. She was elderly. She had Parkinson's. She was born and raised in Nuremberg, Germany. Lovely lady. I mean, just, I just adored her. And she fell and broke her hip. She got a new hip. She was in rehab for a while. She got to come home. She fell again at home. Mm. 
And she kept telling her kids, I, she was 84. She kept saying to her kids, do not ever put me in a nursing home ever, no matter what's going on. I'm not going, don't do it. So she fell a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, I guess. And, uh, they took her back to rehab and they were going to put her in a nursing Mm -hmm. home because she couldn't be in her home, even with full-time care. She fell still. Yeah. It was just too dangerous for her. And so on a Friday night, they were talking about, they went up and they looked at a couple of nursing homes on Thursday, Friday night. You know what, Lauren, she just died in her sleep. She wasn't going to that nursing home, <laughs> regardless of what her kids wanted her yeah. to do. And, and so she just transitioned. My, one of my best friends died last summer and she was diagnosed with metastasized cancer all over her body. She was dead in 16 days. Wow. She, when I talked to her on the phone, she said, my kids can't take care of me. They've got small children. They have their lives to lead. I don't want to be a burden on anybody. I said, well, you know, we can help you. She said, I don't want to go through chemo. I don't want to do any of this stuff. Mm. And she died 16 days later. Everybody was just in shock. Mm. And of course, you know, I was talking to her while she was transitioning and that's what she decided to do. Now, having said all that, People who are in the last phases of transition that I have seen many, many people over the year years where they're in phase 11, they're ready to take off and they're, they decide they want to stay and they're up walking around 10 years later. So just because somebody's in the phases of transition, we can tell if they're progressing by looking at how quickly they're going through the different phases. So if you're progressing from phase one to seven in a couple of hours, that's pretty quickly. Mm. And we find that it's really useful to the family because we can say, okay, they're in phase nine. And if you want to be with your loved one, when they're dying, you need to get on a plane or you need to take time off work Mm. or you need to take the kids out of school or whatever. So it helps with people because we're, we don't live close to our, all of our family members so much anymore. Some families do, but a lot of us don't. The other thing that's interesting too, is I will always, and all my graduates, I teach class on how to do woo woo and it's online and it's four Saturdays in a row for a couple of hours. And it's just a blast. You learn how to do all the buffet of psychicness stuff, you know, the medical and the talking to deceased loved ones and the pets and the telling how close to death somebody is and all of that. But what I find fascinating too, is we can ask the person who's dying. I always ask three questions. Are you ready to go? Are you in pain? And what do you need? Mm -hmm. And my favorite story, as I mentioned before, is the, you need to mail my quarterly estimated taxes story. That's so good. But I get all kinds of, all kinds of requests. And there are story, lots of stories in the book about what people are requesting from, uh, you know, I need somebody to go get Frank Sinatra CDs and play them Mm. or, or I'm cold or I want this, or I want that. I want some licorice or (laughs) I want some licorice or I, I need a sweater or it's just all across the board. I need chocolate. Yeah. I need to know that somebody's going to take care of my dog. Yeah. Somebody's going to take care of my pet. You know, who's got fluffy, who's got sissy, the cat, who's got fluffy, the dog, where are they going to be? Okay. Who's going to take care of them? 
the requests are very simple for the most part, and they're very genuine and they normally resonate with the family. That's so beautiful. Um, Julie, I do need to wrap this up because, you know, we're at the end of our hour. I feel, I'm sorry to the listener at home that we didn't get into the conversation of the 12 phases a little bit more in depth, but Julie does go over them in her book. And I know that we didn't talk as much about angels in this episode, but I think the episode itself was just so powerful. It was meant to go the way that it did. And maybe I can convince Julie to come back on the show again in the future and we can we can get into sure. that stuff. I guess I do want to just ask you whether or not there was anything that you wanted to bring up that I didn't ask you. And also on top of that, I wanted to know whether or not, you know, all the work that you've done and with, when people pass, you know, you, you would still grieve in a normal way, right, Julie, or do you also have a sense of comfort? Like you're one of your best friends just recently transitioning. I, I would imagine that that would still be difficult, even though you can potentially connect with her still. And even though you know that, you know, she's not that far. Yes. Exactly. It's, it's sad. I miss her. I had a bridal shower here at my home on Sunday, a couple of days ago, and she was just the ultimate entertainer. And so I was, she was advising me from heaven and there were a couple of things. There were a couple of other hostesses that brought things in. I thought, Oh, Deborah would just have a fit over this because this isn't how she would have done it. But, but yes, it's, it's sad. And at the same time, I think it's easier for me knowing number one, that I can connect with them, knowing that they're around all the time. Mm -hmm. And also knowing that they chose to go when, how, where, with whom, all of that. And, and that this was part of their spirit's path and that we, we don't lose anybody. They're just in a different form. It's like an ice cube is water that's solid and it melts and then it's liquid. And then it gets, it turns into a gas and it's, you know, evaporates. So it's all water. It's just different forms. Mm-hmm. And this is the same thing. So beautiful. And I will just say for our listener at home, cause I feel like I got an objection there when I was listening to you speak. I, I just feel like sometimes when people hear that we choose our own passing, that it doesn't always make sense when people choose a violent passing or when they choose a passing that is less than what we would have chosen for ourselves or not less than, but you, you know what I'm saying by that. And uh, I will say that um, one of the episodes that we have is with Rob Schwartz and he talked about our pre-birth plan and things of this nature. So if you are wanting to look into that a little bit further. I just want to direct people there. Uh, and also that we're all living our own soul's journey, kind of like what you were talking about, Julie, before how we're all, we're all, you know, in it and we're experiencing life, you know, on our own, in a way, uh, on our own path and that we can elevate each other as we go about our journey, but we can't always know, you know, the way that another soul's path is meant to go or the lessons that they're teaching other people in the process. And I think that's, it's just maybe an important thing to bring up. I, I concur with all of that. And also a lot of it has to do with past lives because somebody that goes in a violent manner perhaps was the spouse of the 
sibling of, the parent of, the child of, the whatever of, and they experience that from that vantage point in a past life. And in this life, they decided that they wanted to be the person who died that way so that they could experience that side of the equation. May I talk about what I'm giving as a gift? Oh, yes. Talk about that. And also the fact that, you know, you talked about it, that you do your mentorship as well. So, you know, people can learn to connect with their um, their passed over loved ones and you teach all that. So please, my friend, tell people how they can get a hold of you. Talk about your free gift. Talk about, you know, anything that you want to say. Um, yeah, the, the platform is yours. Okay. Thank you. Anybody that would like a copy of my book, Angelic Attendance, and or a copy of my children's books, Angel Messages for Kids and Angel Messages for Dogs, all you have to do is just go to askjulieryan.com and click on the Ask Julie tab. And then just say, Hey, I heard, I heard you on Lauren's show. I'd love a copy of the book and we will send you a digital and an audiobook version for free, just as a gift for thanking as a thank you for, for listening today. Thank you. That's number one. Number two, I do work with private clients every day, all day. And, uh, and I do a show every Thursday night, us time from eight to 10 Eastern. And it's a blast. It's called Ask Julie Ryan, the Ask Julie Ryan show. And people call in from all over the world and ask me questions about scanning them medically, doing an energetic healing on them or their pet. How close to death is my loved one? Can we talk to my deceased loved one? Can we do a past life thing? Should I take this job? Should I marry this guy? Should I move into this house? I mean, whatever. <laughs> it's a blast. It is so much fun because every week is different. And I, and I have lots and lots of callers that have their own questions. So that's fun. And then I, I do have a class and it's called angelic attendant training. And I teach it quarterly. I limit it to 12 students and you will learn the buffet of psychicness that I do medical energy, healing pets, past lives, talking to deceased loved ones. And it's important to remember too, Lauren, that it's not just loved ones that we knew or deceased people that we knew. You can talk to anybody you want. You want to talk to Napoleon or, or Mother Teresa or Einstein or whomever. It doesn't matter. It's just all energy and it's being able wow. to connect telepathically with that spirit. So all everything is available at askjulieryan.com. Everything on social media and YouTube and Alexa's all at Ask Julie Ryan. So it's easy to find us. Yeah. Awesome. And people can, they can listen to the show through your site. So they just go to the website and then. They can listen to a live stream of the yeah. radio show as it's being broadcasted. And then we tape it and then we release it as a podcast anywhere you download podcasts. Perfect. And then the video and the audio, the video is on YouTube. And we usually have that up within a, uh, within a matter of a couple of days. So the audio is available anywhere you download podcasts. You can call into the show live. You can listen to a live stream. We're trying to make it easy just to, to get, get it to be convenient for people to call in and, and to enjoy listening. And, and it inevitably, people will be asking questions that have some kind of significance 
in each of our lives. I, I will hear from listeners all the time. They'll say, oh my gosh, that person asked that question. And that's exactly something that's going on in my oh, life. And yeah. I really appreciated getting that advice because it applied to me as well as to the person that called in. That's so perfect. Well, thank you so much, my friend. Please come back and uh, let's talk about more stuff. It's just, I know that your skill set is just... <laughs> obviously amazing. Just go back and listen to the bio again. And uh, I want to thank you so much for your time. It's been such a pleasure talking about this. I think it's such an important discussion to talk about uh, transitioning from life to death to life again. And uh, thank you so much for, you know, helping our listeners and, and myself along in trusting that all is well. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave us a review where you listen to your podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you. New episodes every Thursday.